that the title was a woman on on a mission and I I guess I never thought about it that way but I guess I am on a mission because I feel like I have learned so much in my journey to where I am today and things are so different from what I was expecting kind of 10 12 years ago that I want to kind of put it out there and use it to help people that's something that I am able to do I can help people I can use it to to make people feel that it's things are possible that they may not have ever thought were possible before. So, so I am on a little bit of a mission, mm. I guess, to help as many women as I can. Okay. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show and welcome today to Sarah Rawson. Hi, Sarah. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm so happy that you're here. We were just talking beforehand how this is a slightly different interview than what I've normally had on the show because people have usually been either in the coaching space or a client of mine talking about the work that we've done together and you don't fit into either of those um, kind of brackets. You are actually a colleague of mine from my days at Swiss Re where I spent 20 years in a corporate career. You're still there. You're doing very well in your career. So Regional Head of Life and Health Business Management, EMEA, which is the European, Middle East and African markets, and mother to four, five-year-old son? Five-year-old boy, Alex, yes, to keep me busy. (laughs) Which is probably probably a a more of a challenging leadership role than the 280 people in your team, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, sometimes, I mean, I think most mothers find this, right, that they they go to work for a rest sometimes because it can be so full on with a young child that actually, you know, it just feels quite easy then when you get to work and you just have to deal with the adults. So, <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, he's getting older. He's going through different stages. The, the stages always change, um, but it's, it's manageable. It's manageable. Yeah. So going into year one, I guess, at school now. Yeah, so he starts school again on Monday. So just trying to get organised, get all his things sorted, make sure he's got his uniform and, you know, the after school clubs are booked and the breakfast clubs are booked and all of that kind of stuff. Brilliant. Never stop. <laughs> I love it. So I'm, I'm super happy that we connected again. And um, I always had you on in my mind to kind of get back in touch yeah. with. And then I saw what caught my eye was um, you did a article in industry magazine the actuary yeah and it was entitled a woman with a mission and it's where you spoke very openly about being a female actuary in a senior leadership role in what is a male dominated environment right yeah corporate and I instantly resonated because you talked about kind of that self-doubt that creeps in some of the challenges being a woman around the boardroom table but also I guess being in your own head right and the doubts that come with it so I was it was refreshing for me to see you actually share that so openly and I was pretty convinced that it was going to be well received and I think you've had a really good response I have I've had so many messages both internally internally at Swiss Re but also externally from people who have read the article in the magazine again as you say they resonated with it they felt it and they feel it and that was so incredibly important to me Mm. you know as you said that the title was a woman on on a mission and I, I guess I never thought about it that way, but I guess I am on a mission because I feel like I have learned so much in my journey to where I am today. 
And things are so different from what I was expecting kind of 10, 12 years ago that I want to kind of put it out there and use it to help people Mm. because, you know, that's something that I am able to do. I can help people. I can use it to, to make people feel that it's, things are possible that they may not have ever thought were possible before. Um, So, so I am on a little bit of a mission Mm. again to help as many women as I can. I love that. I love that. And why don't we go back a little bit because mm. you didn't grow up wanting to be a leader or an actuary by no did you no I was I wanted to be an airline pilot I loved traveling when I was a kid and I thought originally when I was a, a younger child I wanted to be a um, flight attendant and then I got to the point where I thought no you know what I think I can fly the planes I want to be an airline pilot and I actually went through the process of getting my private pilot's license so I, I had my first solo flight when I was 16 Wow! And got, and got my license when I was 18. And then I didn't learn to drive until I was 21. So I kind of did everything in the wrong order. Brilliant. Um, and then I went to university and I did a maths degree because it kind of linked to the career that I wanted as an airline pilot, but it also was something that I was strong at. I, I had that kind of analytical brain, if you like. Um, and then while I, while I was at university, I realized that if I wanted to really become an airline pilot, I needed to spend about £100,000 training. And then I suddenly thought, you know, I don't want that debt. I don't have the money. I don't want the debt. What else can I do? And so someone once threw this leaflet in front of me about an actuarial career. I'd never heard of it before that point. And I had a look through it and I thought, you know what, that's something I can do. And so when I was in my last year, I started applying for the graduate roles and I ended up getting a graduate role at HSBC at the time which was my first actuarial job so so yeah a little bit of a different direction from the airline pilot one but uh not something that I ever regret yeah so you've never looked back since and I guess I guess that was a little clue as well really that you kind of it was obviously airline something and attendant didn't feel quite right for you so you were like no I just want to be up front fly in the plane so it was probably a bit of an indication that you were always going to be flying in whatever career you did right yeah but I I tend to go through stages and waves of you know whether I feel confident or whether I feel anxious and if I go back to those kind of late teenage years I was the kind of person who would go out and try anything you know I wouldn't mind jumping out of a plane you know I wouldn't mind flying a plane Uh, you know I didn't hold myself back But then I think the older you get, you start to feel a bit more anxious about things. And I wouldn't do that now. You wouldn't get me jumping out of a plane. (laughs) You tend to start to feel a bit more uncomfortable with some of those things that take you out of your comfort zone. And I think that that's partly as you experience things, actually, and realise that things don't always go right. Um, And partly when you realise you've got more at stake, you Mm, know, know, families, houses, bills to pay. You just you you turn a little bit into just just someone who's a little bit more careful. Mm. Um, but then yeah, and then there's other times where I feel completely confident with what I'm doing. So I go through these kind of like waves, which yeah. which is which is similar to most people, I think. Yeah, I think it's what it means to be human, right? And like you say, life experiences and sometimes what do they say ignorance is bliss so you go jump out of the plane for the first time like I did that as well and I was like it was painful for me so I would never do it again ignorance was definitely bliss so I think I think that that's the highs and lows and the ebbs and flows of being human which is um even more important I think to show both 
mm. sides of that, right? Especially when you get into a leadership position where yeah. you're inspiring and empowering others, hopefully, um, to show up the same. And I want to talk, why don't we go into, because um, in the article you mentioned that you had your first leadership role back in 2013, which I think was the time we started our leadership development program. So you yeah. and I were both selected as yeah. future kind of leaders, if you like, and put on this 18 month um, internal program where we spent three weeks over that 18 months oh. away in a boot camp style um, yeah. kind of incubator. And you said that's the time you experienced a prolonged period of imposter syndrome. And it's fascinating for me because I too, mm. I think I, I attribute that LDP to kind of helping me start to get a real deeper awareness of how I behave from the inside out in mm. those kind of work environments. Um, so, it, and I would never have thought that you were perhaps going through the same. So I'm not saying it was the same, but I'd be really interested to know what was going on for you inside mm. your head, in your body. Like what did, imposter, how did imposter syndrome kind of manifest for you? Yeah. So I think for me, the, the higher up you go in leadership, the wider your spectrum of topics is that you're looking at. And so there would have been the, the, the there would have been the, the kind of segment that I'd grown up in that I knew really well, but I was the you know the expert. I know exactly how it worked. I could talk about it for hours. And then there was this, you know, this other three quarters of the pie, if you like, where actually I wasn't the expert. The other people were doing this and they would come and talk to me about these things. And I didn't know the background. And but I was but I was their manager, I was their boss. I had to approve or make decisions. And it's really hard to think, how you know, how on earth do I make these decisions when I'm not the expert? And that kind of was my original feeling. And I, I felt a lot of pressure and I felt like I spent a lot of time outside of work just trying to educate myself on some of these, which I didn't really need to do because actually the one thing that I did have was this, you know second opinion I was outside of the box I was able to see things in a different light to those experts actually and that was almost more beneficial than me just becoming another expert so I did learn I did learn that quite quickly and the other thing that really struck me at that point in time was I'd gone from a role where I spent 90 to 100 percent of my time doing work and that was my you know, that was my bread and butter. I was looking at Excel spreadsheets. I was writing reports. And suddenly I, I ended up in a role where I was doing kind of 40% of my time might have been that stuff. But then the other 60% of my time was leadership and managing people. And that's something that I wasn't trained up in. I'd spent, you know, the last 20 years of my life being educated on technical topics, mm. not how to manage a person who might have a different personality to me, you know, and understand what they're thinking and think about how the way I may have expressed an opinion was received by that person in a different way. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think when I first took the leadership role, I don't think I understood the importance of that. Whereas now, kind of eight years later, I spend so much time thinking about that stuff. Okay, how do I phrase this to make sure it's received in the right way? Whereas back, back then I didn't. And I made a lot of errors and a lot of mistakes because of that and had to learn from them. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's also interesting because I think I came from a slightly different um, background to you. So I never considered myself an expert or technical in any 
like area and I didn't go to university so I started my job when I was 18 I kind of like followed my nose I was like oh what are they doing over there in that claims team they sound really knowledgeable talking about medical stuff and then oh what are that like I went into my first kind of team leader role under James Shepherd who is your manager now right yeah Um, Yeah, it's great to see him flying as well um and I learned the hard way as a like 24 year old managing some people that were coming up to retirement age yeah um, all sorts and I learned the hard way there but I really loved working in the people side of things yeah it scared the hell out of me whenever I was in like a technical sounding meeting because I just thought who am I I have no clue what they're talking about reinsurance was like a foreign language to me <laughs> for the first few years in my career um so yeah I think I always felt like my lack of um any university degree or any kind of technical knowledge like I wasn't an underwriter that had spent 20 years underwriting I was even though I'd spent a lot of my career in claims I didn't really care for that detailed knowledge I just wanted to like bang out 20 claims rather than sit there with one thick claim file so it's interesting that I think even though we come from very sort of opposite backgrounds we've yeah. come to the same sort of um challenges and I think for me I remember sitting in that LDP amongst peers who had also been selected to be the next kind of round of leaders if you like and just really questioning why I was around the table even though I was really wanted to be there just questioning like really am I good enough next to these people I compared myself to others yeah um, unfavorably I remember being in some of those awful awful um role play scenarios yeah I don't know if you thrived in those environments I certainly didn't no I hated them (laughs) I remember this one I've spoken about it before where I just wanted the ground to open me up and swallow me whole because I just wanted to be anywhere but there and it just felt like all eyes were on me waiting for me to like trip up and but but regardless like my 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 mouth still opened and I still made noises and I seemed to get through right but inside I was kind of like melting a little bit thinking just what am I doing here um and I I remember it was it was I think it was the second or maybe the third one of the week-long boot camps that we were in (laughs) it's not boot camp but it felt like it um where I was one of the facilitators sort of took me aside and said what is going on because I think she could see that I could read that room and I kind of had things to say, but nothing was mm. coming out of my mouth. So and she, when she encouraged me, what I had to say, everyone was like, oh yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Like you said, offering a different perspective, actually um, being quite in tune with the mood rather than what was being said, but how it was being yeah. said and the intricacies of some of that stuff was was kind of what I was picking up on. And she actually recommended my first self-help book that I had um, in what I believe has been my my personal development journey um, alongside my professional development journey so um, I don't know if you've kind of found the same because I know you said you've done a lot of like early, mm. earlier days kind of looking at that how can I how can I my kind of professional game and like my technical knowledge but what have you done to explore like the personal development side of things like understanding yourself better and where your strengths lie and that kind of stuff so so I I do rely a lot on feedback that people tell me 
Um, I, I read a lot like you. I read a lot of self-help books. I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. But I also rely on feedback that people give me. And I remember in particular one person who I worked for giving me some feedback and they said, you know, it's okay to ask for help was the feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think up to that point, I'd assumed that people expected me to know stuff. You know, I'm in this, this position for a reason. If I'm given a piece of work, people expect me to be able to take it and do it. And I must have done some piece of work terribly for him to give me that feedback. But he kind of said, look, it's okay to ask for help. If you don't know the answer, ask for help. And I still do that to this day. There was an example just this week where I, I had a business decision to make. And I, I knew what I wanted to do. But I also knew that the, the people I were delivering the decision to would give me a hard time about this. They wouldn't like the decision that I'd made. And it made going into that discussion I was already feeling a little bit unconfident because I felt like I'd get that challenge and I'm not a I'm not a sales person I'm not a client markets person I'm more of an I guess an introverted back office person so it, that there's this confidence issue there as well but you know I feel like the people who are great at the the kind of sales talk would try and back me down into a corner so before that meeting what I did was actually reach out to two individuals who I know quite well feel like I've got a strong relationship with them um, they knew nothing about this topic but I, I briefed them and said look give me your advice what would you do and both people said to me exactly the same as what I thought was the right answer so then when I did go into that meeting where I had to make the decision I said it with confidence mm. I, I there was no ifs no buts you know no I thinks just this is my decision and there was no comeback. And I realized that actually asking for help there was by far the right thing to do because it led to a decision that was taken straight away rather than, you know, this difficult conversation that might follow. So I still take that advice now that it's okay to ask for help if you don't know the answer. Reach out to the people that you trust. And relationships are important, right? If you build up those strong relationships with people that you trust, you've got that circle of people that you can go and ask those questions to. And you don't need to be afraid that, you know, they're going to think you're silly or you shouldn't be asking that question because you spent time investing in that, that relationship with them so that you trust them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in doing, the more you do that and the more you almost get in that, validation and acceptance for your approach the more you can start to trust yourself yeah. in the first instance right and it Absolutely. is I think it like when I think of the times that I was like in my head I was, a voice was saying say it just mm. say it and another voice was saying no don't say it you'll be yeah. wrong you'll look stupid you'll sound ridiculous yeah. and and it's like that lack of trust in in the in kind of knowing that you have something valid to bring to the table even mm -hmm. if it's not like ni nicely wrapped up in this kind of technical sound yeah. thing yeah and I think I always same same as you quite often I held back because I thought well there's no point in me saying that because everyone else will know that anyway yes and, and my assumption was always what's the point when everyone knows that anyway and so I'd hold back but I've realized that people don't know that, you know, people are in different fields. It's something that I might think is obvious. I think it's obvious because it's part of my day-to-day -day job. It's yeah. not part of their day-to-day -day job. So yeah. me putting it out there is by far the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to, I mean, there's still this kind of thing pushing me back sometimes from saying it, but I try and bat that away and, and put myself out there a bit more. Mm. Um, but it's not, it's not something that comes natural. It's something that I'm still working on as well. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think I, I think you actually said, you know, uh, perhaps I always will kind of have these kind of challenges. And I think one thing I wanted to offer the listeners actually is something that one of my first coaches, Lulu Mins, mentioned to me, or I think maybe more broadly on a her podcast, was that actually imposter syndrome, it sounds quite um quite like a, it's it's syndrome it's like a disease it's like something right and it's I know it's a label that we've given something to kind of describe that what's going on inside but actually if we looked at it as we're not walking around with this syndrome 100% of the time but every now and again we have an imposter experience mm. that kind of like takes some of the weight out of it and you can kind of recognize it when you're in the moment and go oh there's that I'm just experiencing that mm. feeling of imposter of being an, a fraud or an imposter or like I'm not worthy of being here and then it's like okay so what can I do to either um like move through this or mm. or give myself the support I need to kind of come through the other side and mm. I think that was hugely beneficial for me because I've even though I talk about imposter syndrome in my mind it's like yeah well you, you're not and don't feel like an imposter in every single situation in your life yeah. It's certain situations, maybe it's certain people that kind of trigger that um, that feeling, and to see it as more of a oh, I'm just experiencing this in this moment, and it will pass. Absolutely, and I think I said in my article, you know, there's going to be certain things that I'm not the strongest person at, and I, you know, I sit in a room with someone and I might admire somebody because they're so much better at something. You know, I feel like they've got something nailed, and my initial reaction probably a few years ago was to feel bad that I didn't have that knowledge. I couldn't contribute in the same way they did. Whereas now I spend a lot more time thinking, okay, okay you know, I'm not as good as that person at this particular topic, but I do have a strength over here that, you know, can, can add value. And diversity is important. We shouldn't all be, you know, experts in the same thing yeah. and have the skill sets in the same way, or we wouldn't get anywhere. Mm. Um, so that's quite, quite important. And I, I, I do, when I do get feedback, if I got feedback 10 years ago, I'd spend most of my time concentrating on the, I'll say the negative, even though I don't like that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and almost the, the, the good stuff, you kind of read through it once and then forget it, right? You, you know, your mind's thinking about all the, the bad stuff or bad in your own head. Whereas now I don't, I get that feedback and I make sure that I dedicate equal time to both the, the good stuff and the, the, the stuff that needs a bit more work. Yeah. Because actually if I really concentrate on all these things I'm doing well and that people appreciate, it puts me in the right frame of mind then to keep doing the job to the best of my ability rather than just spending all this time thinking about all this stuff that in my head I can't do. Yeah, and maybe we'll never be able to do, right? Because we're never going to be able to do everything. Um, it's, It's interesting when I left the corporate world to be like a company of one effectively where I don't have IT on the other end of the phone and I don't have, you know, finance team that I can check in with. Like I have to do it all myself. And it's like actually knowing that that, you know, filling out spreadsheets and IT and all that stuff is never going to be a strong point of mine Mm. can mean that I can actually either outsource that stuff like I would have done in in the corporate world, but you pay someone else to do it for me um, or just not worry that it doesn't get done perfectly. Yeah. And I think I think so many women come to me and they're like, oh, but I need to learn that because I can't do that. And I've, I've stepped up into this new new role and perhaps I'm, my weakness is this or my area of development is this. And it's actually, do you want to be good in that area? Because 
the effort you spend on trying to be good at something that you don't know anything about and don't have any interest in versus getting even kind of better or more involved in the stuff that you already shine yeah. at doing yeah um, could be a better kind yeah. of use of your time yeah and I think for me you know I have quite a big team around me who are much better a lot a lot of this stuff than I am and so I don't need to be good at all of these things what I do need to concentrate on is making sure that my relationships with those people are strong that I respect them that they respect me you know the likability factor when you're a leader is quite a big deal Mm. I know it doesn't matter if I if I, if I have a list of things I want to get done, it's much more likely to get done if people like me and respect me as a leader than if I'm this kind of, you know, mistrunchable, if you like, at the front, delegating and, and being harsh and, and making feel, people feel uncomfortable. So I spend an awful lot of time in my leadership position now just on building relationships and, and not just work relationships, but paying attention to just how people are and, you know, and then they can trust me. I can trust them. We're all in the same, you know, ballpark at the end of the day. And it just, you, you get a better outcome. So, yeah, I don't need to be good at everything. Nobody needs to be good at anything. But actually having strong relationships with those people around you who are good at the different tasks is, is, is probably more important. Yeah, absolutely. And in your article as well, I just want to come back to something that you talked about Um you said the picture of the ideal leader is changing, especially come like mm. coming out of the pandemic, which is a positive to come out of that. And yeah. actually what you described was kind of like a softer approach, which I might say is more of a, a feminine approach to leadership, not female, but kind of just that feminine quality that we all have in us, men and women, which yeah. is around more empathy, more compassion, more authenticity and transparency. How much of that, are you seeing shift as like qualities that are valued now today? So, so I think I work for a company that is incredibly hot on this topic. I don't know if all companies would be the same, but the way I see it, things, things have completely shifted actually from what they ever used to be. Um, part of it is this push for gender equality. And the reason that there is a push for gender equality is because people really understand the benefits that you get from having, you know, the more diverse groups of leaders coming together, uh, different personality types, different cultures, different backgrounds. Um, and, and I feel appreciated. Yes, I am. In my own head, I am a bit different to this kind of traditional leader, if you like. I spend a lot more time on the soft the leadership stuff and the empathy and you know relationships and friendships as I mentioned um but I think that is becoming more of the, the norm lives lives are getting complicated more complicated as well I think there's you know as as more women do work there's a much more balanced or requirement for men and women both to be balancing work and home life and kids and older parents that need help and that's not just going to affect the women I think probably more so at the minute but it will also start to affect the the men as well and so because of that life is life is more complicated and you know we have to respect that people are not always going to be feeling safe and that things are easy and we need to to help people as much as we can so that we get the best out of them and they get the best out of us yeah and do you think, what do you think are some of the ways that 
the company has really sort of stepped up during the pandemic in particular? Um, well, one thing that it did do, which is, I guess, a practical thing, is um, Swiss Re already offered uh, 10 days of free childcare for use in an emergency. And when the lockdown happened, they increased that to 30. Wow. So I, for one, benefited for that. So when Alex wasn't able to go to school and, you know, I couldn't rely on anyone to look after him and I had to work, I was able to use these days to get somebody in to look after him, which was, was fantastic. Um, I think the other thing is we're now talking about we've always had own the way you work which allowed people to work from home and the norm was probably you know one day a week people would work from home now Swiss Re is becoming even more flexible um, they're not saying that we're going to go to a remote working environment because we're not because we still see the benefits of face-to-face interactions and collaboration but it's going to be a lot more flexible than it ever was before um, you know people working where they feel they get the the best work done rather than you know being forced to, to either be in the office or be at home um just generally checking in with people how are people doing on a personal level you see the senior leaders the board members talking about their personal situation at home you know and it's not all it felt like before that the top top leaders may have they're coming to work and become an actor right they're playing this part which is completely separate from their home life whereas now it's a lot more mixed they're sharing their home life stories and you realize that the senior leaders have the same issues quite often that you know everybody else does mm. so it has changed a lot yeah must be interesting to see these senior people rather than on a pedestal actually in their front rooms or something right absolutely and when you see I mean, around in the background well, well that's the same as me so I'm I'm a managing director and I, I remember having a a kind of town hall with my team so 208 people with my son sat next to me in the chair and then at one point I came back to chairing the meeting and he was like mummy 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 and in the end I just had to say look I'm really sorry let's move on to the next topic I'll hand over to this person and I had to go on mute and so my team have seen that for me right and it almost then makes them feel more comfortable with their own situation because yeah. they see me being honest and real and I've got this, a lot of the same problems that they have. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're just human at the end of the day. So, yeah. Very good. So what would you say to anyone that's listening right now? It's likely to be female, perhaps in the corporate world or not, who resonates a lot with what you've been talking about. What, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think I've heard people hold themselves back because they say well I can't commit to long hours I can't commit to you know 12 hour days and having to go out for meals with clients and having to go on a lot of travel because I've got young kids at home you know I've got other responsibilities and therefore that's held them back from applying for roles and thinking about their career progression it's almost like you know sometimes people get to a stage where they think I can't go any further because this is what fits best with my life. But, but things have changed, you know. It's, it's okay to fit your work life and personal life around each other in a different way. You're not expected to do such crazy long hours anymore. You're expected to prioritise appropriately, but not do those long hours. You know, we have a CO2 mission at Swiss as well, so the amount of travel is vastly reduced that we're expected to do. Um, I think... 
And, and because there is a lot more or they're starting to be more females in these senior leadership positions, this kind of concept of, OK, I'm going to go out for a beer with this client to try and sweet talking, that's kind of changed a little bit as well. So don't let things hold you back. You know, I work hard, but I, I don't work crazy excessive hours. I'm quite flexible with the times that I do work to work around my son. And people respect me for what I for the quality that I bring and not for how much they see me you know and yeah yeah. so don't let that hold you back you can make it work without compromise for your family yeah I love that and I love that you're an example for that and people can see it clearly and I think the other thing that I would say around not holding yourself back is to know that actually that self-doubt that creeps in is more common than you will ever know I think in Mm. one um, survey that I saw 78% of females between 35 and 41 had experienced imposter syndrome in their 30s and so we just don't talk about it enough no I don't I don't think it's just a female thing either imposter syndrome so when I did release that article I had quite a few men come to me as well and say you know I have felt that as well I think maybe not as much I don't know but I don't think it is just a, a female thing I think it's something it's probably something that a lot of people go through as they kind of progress through their careers yeah yeah absolutely so yeah don't let that hold you back either and reach out for help have your network and support around you and don't be afraid to have those open conversations and ask absolutely yeah, yeah. Amazing. Sarah thank you so much uh, for being on the show it's been thank super you. valuable and super great to see you doing so well and flying in your career so Thank you very much and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Ah, that's such a good episode. So great to talk to Sarah. And if you resonate with any of the challenges that we were talking about in that episode, and you're looking really to continue to advance your career, maybe you're at a turning point in your career where you have an opportunity to go for a promotion or a new job altogether and just want that bolstering of support from someone that gets it and someone that can help you really step into the most authentic and confident version of yourself in doing so then please do reach out. I have a number of ways you can work with me from my low-cost initiation members club, which is a monthly ongoing membership at £55 a month currently, um, up until working with me one-to-one, which can look very flexibly and is tailored very much around um, what it is that you desire to get out of your coaching experience with me. So if you want to check that out, do head over to my website at www.emmaclaytonexo.com and if you forward slash services then you'll be able to find all the ways to work with me and I can't wait to chat to you soon.